And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Last week we saw that Jesus is taking a personal interest in building his church. He's not just building any church. Just because it says church doesn't mean that it's his church. And we saw last week this word my, two letters, my. This is not the possessive form of my. This isn't my as in belonging to me. This is the ownership or attachment my as in a part of me. Takes it to a whole nother level because my truck out there, that's my truck by ownership, but this arm is mine because it's attached to me in a part of me. There's a connection here. And so to be his church means that you're actually attached to him, a part of him, not separate from him. And so this is the great identifier for his church. And I said in 2013, we're starting this off this year because in 2013, this church, Anchor Faith Church, will be his church. And the great challenge that I have with talking about his church and discovering what his church looks like is we've all seen different models of church. I don't care if you've been in church for one day. I don't care if you've been in church your entire life. You have seen different models of church that may or may not have reflected and represented his church properly. We want to be his church. And so we want to take direction from the head. So that's where we're going with this series. And this morning's title, this morning the, the title of my message is Givers and Takers. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, Givers and Takers. We're talking about his church. Givers and takers. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You probably already knew I was going there. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see here that God is creating man, his greatest creation. You are his greatest, most special creation. You are greater than any animal. You are greater than any flower or tree any body of ocean, any sky, any star, any being that is on the face of this planet that is not a, a human being. You are greater than all of that. He has designed you that way. And the reason why we're so great is not just because we have a capacity to think or breathe in oxygen or you know, even that we have a soul and we have a will and possess those things, but it's because God gave us dominion on the earth, gave us control gave us rulership to govern and rule the earth as he would rule it because he's a king, but he's a king in heaven, and God never intended to rule the earth from heaven. We see right here that he gave man dominion. So he creates man, and then he gives him something. In fact, if you go to the next verse, in verse 29, 
He says, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And that food is sustenance. What he's saying is, is if you do what I'm asking you to do and operate as I'm asking you to operate, I'm going to take care of you. See, I've given you every food. I've given you every seed, every uh, herb that yields seed. I've given that to you for food or for sustenance. What he's saying is I've given that to you to supplement your life. Adam and Eve were never meant to be hunting around, wondering and worrying about what they're going to eat. And he goes on later on and he puts bodies of water throughout. So now they have food to drink. He placed them in the garden. So now they have a place to live. They're not concerned about any of those things. They're only concerned about his things. Their concern is tending and keeping and guarding the garden, making sure that the fruit uh, that, that the fruit is bearing a seed which then in turn goes into the ground and bears more fruit, that this continual uh, reproduction style and system is taking place. I take care of God's things. He takes care of me. Very simple. So God has given to man. Remember we talked about in kingdom authority that only someone in authority can give authority. Only somebody who has authority can give away authority. Any of our military guys in here will know that uh, someone below you can't give you uh, an authority higher than what you are. Hey, I want you to be our, our chief today. I want you to be our, our colonel. They can't do that. Only the person above them who's in a position of that authority can hand off that authority to somebody. So God, being in a position of authority, he's a king is in a position to give away authority. Go over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. Very paramount verse that we, you know, most of us probably know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God once again has demonstrated who he is and what his nature is by giving something to us. He gave us authority in the beginning. We gave up that authority. We gave away that authority. And then he gave his son so that if we believe on him, we could be restored back to the life that Adam and Eve had in the very beginning. For God so loved the world that he gave. It is God's nature to give. That's his nature. That's who he is. You can't change that. He can't change that. He is a giver. He is one that gives something. Does he expect something in return? Yes. But God is not a taker. He is a giver. God doesn't take things. He gives. That's why I don't spend a lot of time in conversation with people, uh, you know, that want to believe that, you know, God takes people out of the earth when uh, you know, he thinks it's, you know, deemable that their time is up and it's time for you to go, that he takes someone out of the earth for whatever reason, because God doesn't do that. God doesn't take people's lives. He only gives life. If you look at his nature, you look at who he is and what he does, he gives people life. People end up losing their life for the sake of the world, for the sake of the enemy, but there is an enemy in the earth who has come to steal, 
to take, to kill, and to destroy. That's taking. But I came, Jesus said, to give life, to give it more abundantly. In fact, Jesus came and he said uh, when he was on the earth that uh, I didn't come to be served, or I didn't come to, uh, to be served, but to serve. I didn't come so people could bow down to me and exalt me and magnify me and make me out of something. I came to serve others. This is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords talking. He came to serve other people, to give people life, to give people hope, to give people restoration. And then he gave his only life. I mean, Jesus said himself that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I've given it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome to know that the life that Jesus uh, put on the cross for us, it wasn't stolen from him. It wasn't against his will because he was in the garden. He said, I have a will. If there's any way for this cup to pass, but not my will, your will. He's saying, I'm here to give. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. And so God and his nature is to give is to serve. So, if we are the church, as we saw last week, that is a part of Jesus. We saw last week that uh, many times throughout the Bible, we are called the body of Christ. That's pretty connected. What did we say last week you call a body without a head? Dead. You are dead. If you do not have a head, and you are not alive, and you are accomplishing nothing, and you are contributing nothing. But when you have a head, Jesus, and the body is hooked up and attached, like Ephesians says, the fullness of, meaning you have the head and the body, because I'm not fullness if I'm missing any of my parts. The fullness of Pastor Mark is not standing in front of you. But today I'm standing in front of you full. The fullness of me is here because my head is here, my body is here, and all the parts that make me, make up me, they're standing in front of you today. So if we're going to be the fullness of Christ, then the body has to be attached to the head. So would it not make sense then, if God and his son Jesus have a nature to give, and we are the church, the body of that head, Jesus, then would it not stand a reason that the church's nature should be to give. The church's nature should be to give. Go to Acts chapter 2. This is the first time the church is established. This is the establishment of the church. Acts chapter 2, we know the day of Pentecost, they all uh, were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then 3,000, it says earlier in that in uh, Acts chapter 2, came into the kingdom that day, were added to the church that day. Now, Look what it says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Now all, who were belie- now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Earlier in that verse 44, it says, and had all things in common. That means that they shared everything. We haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg of commonwealth and what commonwealth is. 
when you find out who the Lord is over your stuff and you really own nothing, it's a lot easier to give it away. People that are attached to their stuff and think they own it, they have a hard time giving. They have a hard time giving something away. When you find out, man, I'm just a steward. The Lord has placed this in my possession. And if it's, if, if it's required of me to be a blessing to someone with it, then I will. That's called commonwealth. That's what was taking place in the church when it first began. 3,000 people. It goes on to say, verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's another passage here in Acts that said that none of them had a need. None of them had a need. We're talking uh, 3,000 people going down the line. Hey, what do you need? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I could probably maybe, you know, I could start in here, and at some point I'm going to get somewhere and says, man, I, I, I need this, or I, I, I need this. I, I, I need more of this, or I, I need this to happen in my life, or I need this blessing. And we're talking about going down the line of 3,000 people. What, what do you need? I'm, I'm all right. In fact, I got extra here if someone else needs it. In fact, we, you know, me and this person, we've been sharing this thing. We've been making it happen. That's the church. I'm afraid that in today's day and age, the church has been more associated with takers than it has been with givers. I'm afraid, I'm concerned that in today's day and age, we come to church with more of a mentality of what am I going to get today rather than what can I give away today. And I'm not even talking things. I'm not talking that. But we come to church and, man, I hope pastor's got a good word for me today. Man, I hope worship is, is good today. Man, I, I sure hope they have something to give to my kids today. We've come with this mentality of taking. And the church should be identified with giving. What can I give of myself today? What can I give away today? Can I give someone a hug? Can I give someone a smile? Can I stop and pray with someone? Instead of thinking, man, I sure hope you know, someone comes and, and prays with me today. Man, I need to tell this person about what's going on. I need someone to hook up with me in prayer. And yes, we need that. But I think if we would change our mentality to giving rather than taking, I think the church would become more empowered. I think that we need to take on the uh, identification of Jesus, since we are his body anyways, and be in a mindset of what am I receiving so that I can give it away. What have I received so I can give it away? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there's a world out there that is lost and dying and hurting and going to hell. Now, I'm not going to say that's fully our responsibility, and this is why. Because the Bible has made it very clear that every single person on the face of this planet will have an opportunity to receive Jesus. Whether I get to them or not. That means every single person in hell, burning, made the choice to go there. Cold, hard facts. 
Not because we didn't get to them in time. Everybody's going to have that opportunity. Nobody is going to hell and burning for the rest of their life beyond accident. And they won't have an excuse when they stand before Jesus one day and say, well, no one told me. The Bible has made it very clear. No one will have that opportunity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So they will have that opportunity. But we as a church are to be a light in a dark world. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple months now. We're to be a light in a dark world. His church, not just any church, his church. Which means we need to take on the identification and the reflection of who Jesus is and who he was. And Jesus was a giver. Jesus came to serve. And so has the church. The church is here to serve. The church is here to serve homeless people. The church is here to serve single mothers that are having trouble making it. The church is here to serve people that have lost their jobs and have, are clear to being, are close to being thrown out on the streets. The church is here to serve the wealthy that have businesses, but it, 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 it's taken too much. And so the church is here to help people in those situations. I'm not going to put it all in one basket. The lost and dying and the hurting, it may surprise you who is lost and dying and hurting. Because the billionaire living in the mansion next to the ocean is lost and dying and hurting just as bad as the homeless man living under the bridge. <laughs> we better get a clear picture of who we're here to influence and how we can help them, how we can serve them. But it first starts with our mentality as a church and not coming into this place and living our lives to be served all the time and to take and to, on, on the flip side, you know, think, well, I'll just throw this here and there, and that's my giving. No, giving was a lifestyle for Jesus. He gave of his time. He gave of his service. You know, when we start talking about areas of ministry, you know, and, and when we get over to Romans chapter 12 and you find out you're the hand and the foot and the eye and the ear and the ear doesn't tell the eye, I wish I was an eye and the eye doesn't say, uh, you, know, you know, why can't we just all be eyes and, and, and the, the foot doesn't say to the hand, I don't even need you. When we start talking about that, a lot of people, they just try to jump to, well, what's my gift and my talent? I got a question for you. What was Jesus' gift? See, sometimes... We think that if I don't play an instrument well or if I'm not good at speaking in front of people, if I'm not good with kids, that, you know, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? What was Jesus' talent? What was he so super good at? I mean, if we go by trade, he was a carpenter. <laughs> he built rocking chairs and tables. That was what Jesus did. But his service was ministry. In fact, that word ministry means to serve. That's exactly what it means. And you can serve by shaking someone's hand at the door and giving them a smile. You know, you might be the first person all week that smiles at them. They might work a job where customers are yelling at them all day long and always angry with them. They might work for a boss that never sees the good they do. 
They might have employees that think that they're just a terrible person and they're just, you know, on a power trip. They might not have any friends. They might not have family that even loves them. You might be the first person on a Sunday morning to shake their hand and say, welcome to Anger Faith Church. And that greeter will be anointed to be able to pray with someone, to be able to know, you know what, is is there anything I can pray with you about today? Because they showed up with the giving. You know, if we all gave to each other, then we wouldn't need anything. We wouldn't need to come with who's going to give to me because we know someone else has got my back because I've got someone else's back because how did Jesus set it up, or how did God set it up in the garden? You take care of my stuff, I take care of you. Could we get to a point where as a church we come and our needs and our wants go out the window and we come with the perspective of serving and then God is serving us on the back end. God is making room for us, making stuff available to us. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. Since we're a part of Jesus, it should be our nature to give. We're a part of the giver. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he himself gave. Again, God is giving. That's his identity. That's who he is. He's giving. What did he give? Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To help get a word in me so I can, you know, so, you know, I can just live this awesome life and, you know, just know, hey, I went to church and I heard the Bible. So now I don't have to read the Bible because my pastor preached it Sunday morning. And since he preached it so well, you know, that I'm just not even going to bother reading it. No, it says here that he gave the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. God has given us something, so in return, we can give something. The pastor, the apostle, the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher, they have been placed in your life as a gift so that you can be empowered and equipped to give something away. The church should never be Uh, The church should always be, sorry, the church should always be in a position to serve and give. That's what the church is here to do. In the earth, we are here to serve others. We are here to give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our gifts and talents and abilities, give and serve in ministry, give financially, Give to each other things as we need them. That is the heart of the church. That is his church. Again, this might not match the model you've always seen. You might have known your church growing up that it was just a bunch of takers. That people entered into ministry to be served and to be exalted and to have my name lifted up. I've known people like that. 
And here's the thing. I want to put this out there. If you have been hurt by church in the past, I first of all want to say I'm sorry. I want to apologize on behalf of that minister, that staff, and that church that hurt you, that did you wrong, that lived their lives immorally, that lived their lives not as an example towards you. I want to apologize for them. Secondly, I ask that you don't put me against that standard. Pastor Earl used to use a great example with us and and with the church down in St. Augustine. He said, you know, if, if I have someone, if I have UPS deliver me a package and, you know, this driver in particular, he kicked it around and, you know, he's, you know, dragging it up to the curb and he, he takes it up to my doorstep and then just throws it down. And it was something fragile and he breaks it because he was just having a bad day that day. He says, I'm not going to put that on the whole company of UPS. I'm not going to put every driver in the same box as this guy. This guy was having a bad day. This guy went through something that day and he just, he didn't care what he was doing with other people's stuff. But that doesn't say that, doesn't say that about every driver. That would be an unfair disadvantage to the company of UPS. But yet there are people that do that to pastors and do that to churches. And and even when they go and visit new churches, they go with the thing on their shoulder from the previous church. And now I'm trying to have to top that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm here to establish his church. And I'll go ahead and clue you into something. I'm not building it. Matthew chapter 16 says he's building it. So excuse me, you know, if I don't always have the answers. God has placed me as the head and the leader over this church, and he will lead me and he will guide me by his Holy Spirit, and we will do what he tells me to do. Don't ever think that anything we do here is a Pastor Mark initiative or a Pastor Ashley initiative. It's a God initiative. It's a Holy Spirit thing. And if he tells us to do this outreach, then we're doing it. If he doesn't tell me to get involved with that, and it's something that's worked uh, for you in the past, but he says, you know what, we're not going to do that, we're not going to put money there, we're not going to get involved there, then we're going to go with what the Holy Spirit says. Amen? Amen. Because we're going to be his church. His church. I can't account for every church in this town and every church you've been to, every church you've visited, but I can't account for what we're going to do at this church, and we're going to be his church. He's building it, and I'm going to do like Paul and Apollos. I plan it. I'm planning. I'm watering, but it's God who's given the increase. I'm a fellow co-worker, co-laborer with Jesus, and we're going to build on his principles. Amen. We're going to build his church. We're going to be his church. You cannot be, get this, you cannot be kingdom-minded and not giving-minded. It's impossible. You cannot be kingdom-minded and be about the Father's business and be a taker. And what can I get? And what's in it for me? See, these are the things that we weigh when we wake up early in the morning on Sunday. Probably not as early as you have to get up for work, some people. But we still have to get up. I know Wednesday nights uh, can be especially tough for some people. You're getting off work late. It's the midweek. you got kids with tons of homework that have to get stuff done. I understand that. 
But God in his kingdom is all about sacrifice. He says uh, to make your bodies, Romans chapter 1, a living sacrifice. That means on a daily basis, I should be doing something that my flesh does not want to do. That's what a living sacrifice means. You know when they call it a sacrifice of praise? That means I'm not praising God because I got a check for $500 in the mail. I'm praising God because I need 500 bucks and I have no idea where it's coming from. But I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise. And I'm going to thank you ahead of time. This life that we're living, the life of the kingdom, is a sacrificial lifestyle. Why? Because you have a flesh that you're contending with daily. This outside doesn't want anything to do with what I'm telling you right now. That's the thing that I have to struggle with as a pastor is everything I'm telling you right now, you don't want to hear it flesh-wise. But you have a spirit living inside of you that's more real than the flesh on the outside. The reason I say that is because one day your flesh is going to be done and gone and disappear, become the dust once again, but that spirit's going on forever. And even Paul said those things that are the unseen, those things that, are, uh, that you cannot see, that's temporary. That means it can change. But the, the, uh, or the seen realm, the unseen, that's eternal. So you have an eternal spirit man living inside of you that is on the edge of your seat. Even though you might not be on the edge of your seat. But that spirit man on the inside, once it's come alive in Christ, made all things new, new creation in Christ Jesus, your spirit man on the inside saying, give me more, give me more. And the more and more we get that flesh out of the way, I'm going to be going to Nicaragua pretty soon, and I'm going to be talking to people that have gotten flesh out of the way, and I can preach to them for three hours straight, and they won't even blink an eye. They're not looking for a water fountain, mostly because there is no water fountain where I'm going. They're not looking for the bathroom, because there's only one. They're, they're, they're not even thinking about that. They'll, they'll sit outside in a building like this, Minus 90% of what you see. You'll have red metal construction and a roof. And no walls, no nothing. Breeze blowing through. You think, well, wow, that'd be awesome. I'd love, I'd love to have some breeze. Not when it's 110 degrees outside, you wouldn't. Not when it's 45 degrees outside, you wouldn't. But yet these people have gotten their flesh out of the way. They've gotten their spirit to a level that says, I want what my spirit wants, and that's it. And they'll sit in the pouring rain. They'll wait six hours because somebody got flight times wrong. Most of us will oh, he's going to, yeah, I'll catch him tomorrow. Right? Man. Man. Church. His church. I want to build his church. I want to help him build his church. I don't want to stick church on something and say, all right, we're doing church. That's the danger that we've come into in society. We talked about last week that a lot of churches are only living up to the worldly definition of church. Whatever the world deems as church, then, okay, that's what we want. What does the world want? Okay, let's throw that in there. Because how else are we going to reach the world? I don't know, maybe with some signs and some wonders. I tell you, if I pop open a, a deaf ear this morning... Next week, we won't be able to hold them all. Because you know what that deaf person's going to do? 
is going to do exactly like Jesus told them not to do. Now, don't go tell anybody. Why did Jesus say that? Why didn't Jesus want people to know? Because then he ran into an issue at the end of his ministry where they only came to see signs. And when he tried to speak the word, just do a sign. I'm here because you popped someone's ear open. I want to see that happen. And great for the signs and the wonders. Awesome. But if you don't get the word behind it, nothing. And he ran into that. And he ended up having to leave town. He said, you are a perverse generation. All you do is seek a sign. But you don't want to hear anything I'm saying. I'm here to preach. Because he used to be able to preach all day long, and people would go without food to where the disciples were getting hungry before the people were. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, uh, the people are getting hungry. And really what Peter was saying was, I'm, I'm starving, man. I've heard this message before. You preached this last week over in Capernaum. I, I need some food. So he decides, let's, let's go to Jesus and say, the people are hungry. They're, they're, they're stirring a little bit. But they didn't care, man. They're sitting there on the grass. It said, till the day was wearing down. 20,000 people just listening to his word. The word of God, because that's the truth. That's what's going to set us free. So Ephesians chapter 4, we see that the church should always be in a position to serve. The fivefold ministry has been given from God because he's a giver. But he is giving so then we can then give away ourselves. The church should always be in a position to give and to serve. Now go to Matthew chapter 25. And we've gone here before. <coughs> Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. You want to know what the kingdom's like? Well, here you go. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like <laughs> a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. That word deliver is just another word for gave. Okay? So the master is giving to his servants. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. <coughs> then he who had, uh, and likewise, he who had received two gained two more. Okay, so one's been given five. He went out, traded, and got five more. One was given two. And the one with two said, man, why didn't I get five? I quit. I'm not playing this game anymore. No, he took the two and went out and doubled it and got four. But now we have one who received the one. He went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Let's keep going. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts 
with them. I'll tell you right now, the master's coming back to settle accounts. He's coming back to settle accounts. You notice that we have to constantly be in giving mode. Even when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you still had to give something up. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is gracious. But he's still demanding something. And to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you have to give up yours. You can't have both. You can't keep your life and have his life. Because to make him the Lord of your life means to crucify your flesh, to die daily. I'm shutting down my desires. I'm shutting down my will. I'm shutting down what I want to do. See, even in receiving something, there's still a giving action that's taking place. Even in the very initial step of making Jesus the Lord of your life. So look at verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things, meaning I will give you more. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But now, the one who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. Still acknowledging that it belongs to God. But that's not good enough. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I would that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Let me show you something. The Lord is looking for interest, period. He does not want to get back what he gave to you. He doesn't care about that. He's looking for a return. You know why? Because God is not a spender. He's an investor. He invests. God is an investor. When you spend something, you're not looking for a return. But when you invest, you better believe you're looking for a return. In fact, you demand a return. Has anyone here ever invested money? The thing that is most commonly invested. At the end of the time, that you 
were putting that investment in, if they gave you back exactly what you put in, would that raise a question with anybody? Of course it would. All right, here's, here you go, sir. Here's your $25,000. Okay, wait a minute. This was a 12-month CD at such and such rate, so I am reasoning that I should be getting back this amount. It's an investment, which means I put it with you to steward over for a period of time that when I get it back, I would have something added to it. God is looking for a return on his investment. Let me tell you something. This church, because we are his church, this church will place a demand on your lives. We've already seen people, if you've been here for any matter of time, that have been here and maybe haven't left. And I'm not saying every, or, or have left, I'm not saying everybody has left for this specific reason. We have sent people out from this church specifically. Kirk and Cindy Van Hoosh, you may remember earlier in the year, we sent them. God called them back to their hometown. And we sent them off, and they're doing great. But this church will place a demand. And this is how you can tell the difference between his church and a church. Because his church will place the demand. You know why the demand is there? Because the deposit was made. Period. And we've had people come in that maybe didn't stay because they realized, you know what, they're going to make a demand that I'm just not willing to bring a return on. But I'm I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to say, oh, that's what I gave you. Okay, well, yeah, I'll just take it back. Because then I wouldn't be his church. The master, the Lord, is investing. Right now, I'm not spending time with you. I'm investing time with you. I'm investing. I'm making a deposit. And a great deposit always comes with a great demand. When I used to work in the banking industry, uh, where I worked at, there was a lot of older retired people. And so CDs were our killings. That was where we made our money. We had hardly any traffic, but when that due date came, we were the busiest time of the year. We didn't have a lot of personal everyday accounts, but we had a lot of deposit accounts. And that was how our branch made money. Is we'd have, you know, older retired people that had their retirement and they would put it in these funds because they knew I can grow it rather than sitting in my bank account and getting nothing. Let me stick it here for 12 months because I know I'm not going to need this amount of money. And then I'm going to make money. My money's working for me. Because I just spent 65 plus years working for my money. Now I want my money to work for me. And if we were off by a penny, Dude, man, somebody's calculator was wrong because they would have it in. I mean, they knew. Some of them would come in with sticky notes, and they knew exactly what they were getting back. And so when that due date came, they would say, yep, that's it, or nope. 
what happened. And then have to, you'd have to run through the math. I mean, you don't mess with their money because they're investors. They're smart. They don't put their money just anywhere. They would drive down the block for a nickel. Well, this place, they can give me 5.1%. You can only give me 5.0099%. I'm going down there. And 5% is unheard of these days. <laughs> Back when I started, the CD rates were pretty good. But they were smart. They shop them. They'd read the newspaper. They would call. Why? Because they're investing their money in a great deposit came with a great demand. See, this church, and especially me as your pastor, I know what's being deposited. I know what's being deposited. I know that a great deposit's being made, so a great demand on that. I'm looking for a draw. The Lord's looking for a draw. He's holding me accountable as a head of this church to make sure we're making that demand. Because you don't want to stand before me and say, oh, you're good, and then stand before Jesus and say, that's nothing. What'd you do? Well, Pastor Mark said it was good. No, I'm not going to be that person. And then I'm not going to have Jesus look at me and say, you didn't hold him accountable. You didn't place a demand. You weren't looking for a withdrawal. You were depositing every Sunday, every Wednesday. And the greater the deposit, the greater the demand. I mean, we have Caleb and Crystal Clay with us. Y'all know, uh, you've seen them here before, but you know Joshua Clay. This is his younger, bigger brother. <laughs> you always want to say older because he's like a whole other foot taller than his brother and uh, looks older, but... Um, <clears throat> don't tell Josh I said that. He'll probably listen to this. Anyways, sometimes Axe older. I can tell him that, though. Hey, Josh loves being a like, little kid. He's a kid at heart. He knows that. Anyways, before I get myself in any more trouble with the Clays, um, they have chosen to have a deposit made, a great deposit. Caleb will be finishing Kingdom Institute, our Bible school program that we have in St. Augustine this May. Crystal will be finishing the year after that. That is a deposit. That is an investment. But guess what? They have people around their lives making a great demand. And, say, and we can go back and say, hey, we deposited this amount at this time, and we put this in, and we put this in, and so now it's time to draw. And we would all be very dissatisfied if they just decided, eh, you know, we'll just nonchalant. Maybe we'll be in ministry, maybe not. Maybe we'll serve, maybe not. No, there's a demand there. And we have an expectation and expectancy now because we've been investing. I don't know how many leaders meetings he's been in with me. I don't know how many classes he's gone to over the course of three years. How many services he's been in since he was a child. A great deposit always comes with the great demand. And this is a church that will place that demand. 
that might be confrontational for some people. That might be challenging for some people. And if that's not what you want, I'm sure there are other churches that will not place that great of a demand on your life. But we will always look to make a demand and make a withdrawal on your life because we know what we're depositing. God has already placed greatness in you. It's just about working it to get it out because he's called you to be an influence to the kingdom of God. He's called you to be a world changer. That's what he's placed in our lives. See, those gifts, I like to also use the word resource. And the gifts that he's placed in our lives are resources to get the job done. See, he's given us an assignment, and then he's also given us what is necessary to get it done. Anyone ever been given a job by somebody, but they didn't give you the tools to get it done? You hate to be in that position. But we can't do that with God. He gave us an assignment, rule and have dominion on the earth, bring heaven to earth, introduce my kingdom to this earth, eradicate uh, evil, eradicate sickness and disease, eradicate sin, be a light in darkness. I saw an awesome quote the other day. He said, uh, uh, this person said, darkness never trumps light. The only reason the light isn't shining is because it's not working right. That's it. Light always wins. Darkness always loses. Isn't it awesome to know that we have a resource within us that always wins? And the only reason that the light isn't winning is because it's not working. Or it's not being put to use properly. We are light in a dark world. We are salt in the earth. What does salt do? Salt preserves, which means it makes it last longer. Salt can make you thirsty, which means it will make people thirst for the kingdom of God. Salt uh, brings flavor. That is what we're doing in the earth. That is what his church should be doing. All I know is I want to be building and establishing and working on his church. And it may look different. I tell you, I've been to churches that I recognize now as I've been going through this and studying this out, man, they weren't his church because they didn't place a demand on my life to live holy. And I was in positions of leadership. And I thank God for those leaders that I did have in my life that did make a demand on my life for holiness and to live right. Because I went to other churches. I served and worked in other churches. And if they knew what I was doing in my life, I would not have been in that position, period. And you, as uh, uh, someone in the church, wouldn't have wanted me in that position. Trust me. But then I showed up at a church that made me accountable and placed a demand on my life. Why? Because he knew I'm making a deposit in you. And so the withdrawal that I should be getting back should be way greater So that's what this church will do. This church will be one that makes a demand on the deposits made. That's what this church will do. And that's not to scare people off. You should want that. You should want that in your life. 
You should want someone that's going to hold you accountable. You should want someone that is charging you and challenging you to live better than you did yesterday and to serve and to give. What if I never talked about finances in this church? What if I never talked about tithing and giving offering? Some of you might be thinking, man, I'd love that church. Would never have to worry about, you know, someone making me feel bad for not giving or asking for my money all the time. Okay, well, the one, the areas that I refuse to talk about in your life and in this church are the areas where I can expect you to be failing in your life every time. You know what kind of church that would be if I never talked about money? Be a church with a bunch of people who are hurting financially. Period. The Bible says that we, uh, we die, we perish because of a lack of knowledge. Any area I'm not bringing knowledge into your life on, you are dying. That's why we'll cover it all. That's why we'll cover it all. I have a series that I want to do later on this year called... Uh, the things I'm not supposed to talk about. And I want to talk about the things that maybe pastors, people think they're not supposed to dabble in. Don't talk about my family. Don't, talk, don't tell me how to raise my kids. Don't talk, hey, I'll come and I'll hear you preach, but don't talk about my, don't talk about my money. Don't talk about my job. These are, see, we, we, we've taken these things and we say, all right, God, I'll give you all of this, but I'm keeping this. And God is an all or none God, by the way. You give him all of it or he's got none of it. So to be his church is to be one that makes a great demand. What are some ways that we can give and serve? First of all, one way is we can serve with our time. Our time is probably one, it is the most valuable thing you have. I don't care what's in your bank account. Your time is the most valuable thing you have. And I hope you treat it that way. I hope that you don't let other people take your time, steal your time. I hope you don't let TV and Internet and things in your life take away your time. Because your time is the most valuable thing. And time is more valuable than money because once you lose it, you can't get it back. Time is like currency. You can waste it. You can spend it. You can lose it. You can gain it. You can invest it. Just like money, time is what we are called to be a steward over. And you can give time to God through studying his word, through prayer, cultivating that relationship, because there's no relationship that is built outside of time, period. Can't tell me you and, and so-and-so are in love and you don't ever talk or spend any time with each other. It's impossible. That's a fake love. Love takes time. Love requires time. Relationships require time. It's time at church, in attendance, in being here. Giving your time to serve uh, whenever uh, we have things. I remember last year when we did our building project, we had a great show of people that came out and helped us get all this construction done. And I don't know if most of you know or not, those walls that are over there in those classrooms, they went up in five days. Five days. Matt Hunt was here. He came on a, a Monday and he was gone by that weekend. Saturday was cleanup. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was walls up, sheetrock, doors on, painted, everything. 
And that was because people gave their time to God's work. So we can uh, give that way with our gifts and our talents and serving in areas of ministry. This will not be a place where you will ever have an excuse. There's nothing for me to do. We'll have something for you to do. We'll have an area for you to serve. We need ushers. We need children's workers. We need greeters. We need worship people. We need sound people. We need people uh, to, to work with youth. We need people to help us do outreaches. We need people to help us with college-age kids. We need people. God needs people. His church needs people. And so you can serve with that. If you have a gift and a talent, great. We'd love to use it. Another way, obviously, is with your finances. Giving of your finances. It's a requirement for one God has already laid that out, and we've talked about that, giving financially to him. You're not giving to this church. And by the way, God doesn't need your money. He's not asking you to give because he needs your money. You know what he's looking for? Is your heart. But he put a verse in the Bible that changes how you deal with money because he said where your treasure is, there's your heart. So... The thing he's saying is, is wherever you put your money, that's where you put your heart. If you put your money in the church, then your heart's there. If you put your money into the kingdom, then you put your heart into the kingdom. So he tied the two together. And so by obeying him that way, he gets 100% of your heart. You only give up 10% of your finances, and he gets 100% of you. That seems like a great deal. And you get to keep 90 on the back end. And then you just learn to keep on giving and sowing. And as that grows, then God continues to grow the harvest on the back end. Why? Because he follows his same rule of deposit and demand. I know people right now that are believing God for large amounts of money because they have sowed large amounts of money. And they've taken God's same principle of deposit and demand and say, all right, God, I deposited a great amount. So now I'm making a great demand. That's how he works. That's how he works. And then giving to each other. Giving to each other. You notice there in Acts chapter 2 that they were all sharing with each other and they all, uh, none of them had need because they helped take care of each other. In fact, they were selling lands and selling houses and selling all kinds of stuff, bringing it to the church, and then the church was dispersing it out as people had a need. That's how the church ought to operate. That's how his church is to operate. We have to get out of the mentality of taking. We have to get into the mentality of giving. If we are going to truly show the nature of our father, the nature of our king, the nature of our God to this world, we're going to have to begin, begin to be givers. We have to find ways to give. We have ways to give. You have the resources. Because we're putting something in you. God has already put something in you. So instead of saying, well, I don't have anything to give. In fact, I need someone to give to me. We need to start looking deep. God, what is it? What is it that I can give? Can I give of my time? Can I give of my influence? Can I give praying for someone? That's giving. You know how many times I've prayed for someone else when I really needed someone to pray for me? 
But I'm giving. I'm in giving mode. And God honors that. He's very clear in Matthew chapter 6. Seek me first. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, my way of living in the kingdom, my way of doing things, and all these things. What things? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? He said, all these things that the Gentiles are seeking after, that the world is seeking, we're seeing it right now. You're seeing people that are toiling hard, putting in way more hours than they have, sacrificing time with their family and with their kids to work jobs to do it the world's way. And he says, if you seek me, I'll make sure all that stuff is taken care of. So instead of working so many hours to put food on table for children that you never get to spend time with, why don't you seek the kingdom and believe that he will take care of you and your kids? He'll put the food on the table. Yes, it says if a man don't work, a man don't eat, but he wants you to seek the kingdom and he will cause everything you put your hand to to prosper. That means he'll cause it to do things that you can't do on your own natural ability. He'll cause 40 hours to go way further than 80 hours in your own natural ability. That's my God. That's the God that I serve. That's the church he's building. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the church I want to help him build. Amen? Father, we thank you for this message this morning. Father, we want to change our mentality. We do not want to continue to be takers. If we aren't giving anything, then that means we're only taking. So, Father, this morning we vow, we put ourselves in remembrance of your word, and we set ourselves to live our lives as givers, serving your kingdom, serving people, giving of our time, giving of our influence, giving of our finances, giving in any way you would have us give, Father. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are our source. You are our provider. Everything we have need of, you said you already know about it before we even ask. So, Father, we put ourselves in a position this morning to be givers instead of takers. Show us ways that we can give. Show us ways that we can give of ourselves. Show us ways that we can be obedient to your word and not always be in a position of taking. And we thank you, Father, that you will bless us. You are looking out for us. You have blessings. Your word says that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Father, we'll come to know those things and live those things and be a part of those things because we are givers into your kingdom. We sow uh, of ourselves into your uh, church and we want to be a part of your church. Not just any church, the church that you are building in this day and age, Father. We thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen.